Strawberries on your birthday, surely The shit I said to hotel managers haunts me Pallbearers of the first string ready Discreetly gather in the second floor hallway And I am not okay, boys No, I am not okay No Welcome to another Tome to the Weather Machine podcast. This one is really exciting. Um, it is a joint production, a uh, syndicated production, maybe, with the Wandering Wolf podcast, uh, Yoni Wolf of Y uh, with a question mark. That's Y, W-H-Y, question mark. You guys, you guys know. Um, I met Yoni a couple of months ago um, in a creepy stalker type of situation driving down Hamilton Avenue following a, uh, a Sun Night show. Um, and I, I didn't really know that they lived in... I mean, I, I guess I knew they lived in Cincinnati. I take that back. Um, but I didn't know that uh, I would have more opportunities um, to run in the same circle as Yoni and, um, and Josiah and, and, and the rest of um, Y. And so I thought I would take uh, the opportunities any... Um, fan does. I've, I've been a fan of Y for a really long time and um, stop, stop Yoni on the street. It's probably, it was probably like 1am. Um, so it was relatively easy to do. But I, I stopped him and kind of did this, you know, gushing, hey, I really love your music. Um, your writing has meant a lot to me um, through the years and stuff like that. And I was pretty much, I was, I was pretty sure that he, uh, he kind of just would write me off as a creepy fan. <laughs> and, um, but then we, uh, our paths crossed, um, some other, uh, and some other venues. Um, Josiah, um, and Josiah who drums in Y and his wife, Liz, um, well, I, I shouldn't put it like that. Liz is uh, a very accomplished musician herself and has a project called, Dream Tiger, which Josiah drums in, um, did a show at my house, um, which was really, really cool of them, um, something they didn't really need to do, <laughs> um, opening for a, a band called No Lands, and, and that was a really um, great opportunity, and so I kind of uh, met Yoni there, and, and we just kind of, yeah, our paths had continued to kind of cross after that. And I thought, who, uh, you know, who should I have on this podcast next? And I thought, you know, who better than, than Yoni Wolf, whose podcast, The Wandering Wolf, um, really inspired me to sort of do these long-form interviews with musicians who I think is really interesting. I remember when I first started listening to it, um, it was the Eric Copeland interview. And what drew me to that was just the, the prospect of listening to a long-form interview with two musicians who I thought were just completely fascinating on their own right, like... I will listen. Yeah, sure. I'll listen to Yoni Wolf interview Eric Copeland for like an hour. That that sounded great to me, and and I really, uh, I kind of really, I love his podcast and um, the 
the the people that he pulls on um both uh both notable in the music world and um just people in his life here in Cincinnati so I yeah I think it's a great podcast and I encourage everybody to go listen to it so he came over uh and we uh, we did the podcast uh on um on his recorder you can hear in the background I forgot to turn off music so like there's music going on and my dog is really loud um you know it's what you get um we don't have a studio or anything like that um so it, it's it's an interesting interview it's a, a bit different than any other tome to the weather machine podcast we've done in that um we don't talk too much about experimental music or personal identity with in, in the context of that um, I mean, I should say he asked some questions where, where I talk a little bit about that, and I, I ask one kind of half-assed question <laughs> um, that um, really is sort of out of place. But the interview itself is more about um, Adeline, my wife, and I, and our experience in the Peace Corps, and um, it gets a little personal about um, religion um, and stuff like that. So if that's not really your cup of tea, I, I understand. But it's it's kind of interesting. We're we're at an interesting place in our life when it comes to that. Um, so yeah, I, I hope you enjoy it. Um, and you know, go over to uh, the Wandering Wolf and you know listen to it there, download it there, um, find some other great interviews that um, Yoni Wolf has um, has done, and uh, support the podcast because it's yeah, it is it is really really well done. So yeah, that's that's everything I get. I uh, hope you enjoy uh, the interview. It was it was certainly very nice to uh, to hang out and to chat with Yoni. And um, so yeah, enjoy. Your face never forgets to cry. Your face. 
I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Hi, hey there. I'm Adeline. Nice to meet you, yeah, my wife. Nice to meet you too. When we were we were Peace Corps volunteers over in Africa and we um that was like what we did was we uh, we binge watched <laughs> TV shows on our on our laptop. I thought you were supposed to be bringing Peace Corps uh, saving the world. You'd think so, huh? <laughs> but really we just spent it watching um Network TV shows. What on kind of you guys did that together? Yeah. yeah. We had Peace Corps has a crazy like Peace Corps Swaziland had a crazy just like private TV show sharing. Yeah, other volunteers would like get a season of something on their laptop, and then flash drives would come out, and we had like a terabyte full of shows. Yeah. So what? You, but what did you do during the day? <laughs> when we were yeah. watching TV? Uh, good question. No, uh, Addy was um, a. You were a community health volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, your name's Adeline? Yeah, my okay, name is Adeline. Okay, I thought you said Evelyn. Okay, no, Adeline. Adeline, and then my nickname's Addie. Addie, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I would, I taught at a local school, like a lo- local primary school. Okay, um, what did you teach? I taught... Just everything? Yeah, kind of everything. It, like, it was kind of under built under like life skills. Uh-huh. But um and so I taught a lot about HIV cuz Swaziland was like is the highest HIV percentage country in the world. Yeah. Um so it was a lot about HIV, but then I um I really found my niche kind of teaching about English and like composition writing. Okay. Um did they speak English there? Yeah, or? yeah, it's okay. kind of like the uh the unofficial language. And and this was um actually a really good school and so the kids were really really fluent in English and so I love teaching composition writing and we do like poetry and um, like uh, like songwriting and stuff like that. So Now, did that dog never actually have a leg? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Robot was born with only three legs. Weird. Yeah. And he's two? Yeah, he gets along pretty good. Um, yeah. He actually had a deformed paw and he couldn't walk on his legs so they amputated. So we got him. Wait, they amputated... His leg, yeah. A different one? No, the same one. No, yeah. Oh, so, he was like a oh, so you're lying. He, like a he, was, well, he was born oh, he with like a deformed... Like a fucked up one. Yeah, and so they, they, they took it. I, I mean, see. it would have been like coming down to like here or something. Right, yeah. right, right, right. A little deformed little paw. I gotcha. So, um, but yeah, Addy had a, uh, a three-legged dog growing up. So, now, so now it's a thing that ro- Robot, come here. Come here, buddy. Come here, buddy. He wants to... Come here, come here. He's, uh, he's pretty friendly. He's a white German Shepherd and uh, uh, what? Yellow Lab, yellow Lab Golden mix, retriever. Golden Retriever. So it makes him kind of tan. Yeah. You show him. This cream, cream color. Gets freaked out. He wants to move his 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 phantom limbs. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he he does. Yeah. Yeah, and um, 
So I, I'm sorry, but I'm, no, no. I'm curious more about Swaziland. Yeah. And I, l- let me just say that this is actually I'm already recording, as you can see. Yeah. This thing. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm here with Ryan Hall and Adeline, whatever your last name is, Hall as well. <laughs> yeah. Married. Okay. Married. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, this is at, so. But I, I should be letting you really ask the questions because technically. I, I mean, I'm not trying to take over your podcast. No, no, this no. This is a syndication. This is a Wandering Wolf syndication of a... Uh, tome to the Weather Machine. Tome? Tome to the Weather Machine. Tome to the Weather Machine. Okay. Tome to the Weather Machine. I, I would suggest you change your name. It's too Jewish. It's <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's what they would have said in old Hollywood. Um, all right. But it doesn't have to be. I mean, it can be um, really kind of like a, a mashup. Of yeah, well, our, that's what I'm saying. Two. We're yeah. gonna obviously both 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 uh, put this out, but but I figure that uh, that uh, I should let you talk some or to guide it. But I am no but, no but no I no. Do no. Feel ask free. Some questions Feel about free. Swaziland because yeah. that's, that's very interesting to me. So so and Adeline, what what were you doing there? I was a community health volunteer. You gotta come. I'm sorry. You gotta come yeah. closer. You gotta come closer. You're so in the distance. This wasn't a part of the plan. Well, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> I was just supposed to meet Yoni Wolf, and that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, I was a community health volunteer. I worked at uh, the refugee camp that was in Swaziland. So it was in our, the camp was in our little town that they assigned us to. And so I worked with the refugees there, mostly Somalian. Um, and we did all sorts of sanitation uh, and health initiatives. Um, it was less HIV focused because that wasn't as big of an issue at the camp, but there was communicable diseases. Like what? Like just stuff that happens when you get a lot of people together, like yeah, bacteria? Like cholera. And, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, we did like a cleaning campaign there and that was a big initiative for a while. We also... Um, What's a cleaning campaign like? Just telling people, just trying to motivate people to keep everything. Yeah, clean. it was like a it was a week long workshop. The um, litter and kind of environmental hazards were a big problem. Um, people would just throw their trash anywhere, and they'd go to the bathroom anywhere, and so that was a big part of spreading the diseases. Um, and the reason why they went to the bathroom, like just anywhere, is because the. Um, Toilets probably sucked. The toilets that we had, it was a complete shit show. Like, literally. literally. Yeah. yeah. Um, what they had done is, normally everybody has pit latrines over there, so you dig a hole in the ground, just erect some sort of structure. Um, but what they had done is they had gotten a grant to put in flush toilets. So you can imagine, like, living in a third world country, like, this, the plumbing, and, you know, like, when your toilet gets blocked up at home, you know, you have to call a plumber and stuff. Well, there's no real plumbers in Swaziland. And so it was like really just kind of shitty quality anyway, and so even at people's houses, they, they usually have. Well, they they were um, they were uh, like I public. Mean, I'm saying not in a refugee camp. Like oh no, everybody unless you were like like really rich, you had like a flush toilet. But yeah, everybody had pit latrines. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so there's these public toilets um, that were um, flush toilets, and then just like one by one, like they would just. And there's like 10 for like a camp of like 400 Right, people. they would fuck up. And exactly, yeah. and so then they're unusable, and so people just went wherever. And so it became like a really big health problem, yeah. especially for kids and stuff like that. So we took, uh, we did a series of workshops and cleaned up 
like cleaned up the showers and the toilets and people I mean it was pretty disgusting um and did like the whole got the whole community involved and we did like a trash pickup for a whole day uh we had like over a hundred bags of, of trash just in that one area but I have to say like the refugee camp in Swaziland it's not a typical like when we when people think refugee camps they think thousands of people in tents and like the squalor I think the refugee camp was in much better condition than that like Uh the there's about 300 residents half who were kids um okay that's not that many people no no no, especially compared to what I've read about like Like 14,000 people 15,000 you know yeah I read that book what is the what about yeah yeah we got that yeah Yeah. so it's a lot different yeah like the picture I always have to kind of clarify because and they did have structures like house made out of concrete kind of like halls yeah really long halls that they would section off kind of using whatever means available so like with plywood and blankets and stuff like that it was actually really cool like just and to that's make what people lived at shelters yeah, yeah okay. that they would make yeah i mean cool like cool is like not a good word to use but like it was very like it was very ingenuitive how they would uh-huh. do it yeah you know? and what and uh, what were they Fleeing from war? Yeah. It got, it, so, I was in, um, so originally the camp started because of the Mozambican Civil War, yeah. which was in the early 90s. And some of the refugees are still there from then, and they are now Swazi citizens. Um, but they're still located there. And then... Then the second wave was like Rwanda and Burundi yeah. uh, during um, that genocide. So, but so, but then you mean Rwandans and Burundis, mm-hmm. not 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 Somalians that were. Rwandans. No, no, you said mostly so, Somalians. The yeah, Somalians so, were the third wave who we mostly worked. And the Somalians were the newest wave. Yeah. Like they would come to South Africa since South Africa has a pretty strong economy. Um, but and Swaziland is right above South yeah, Africa. Is that yeah, right, right there. Like, like embedded in South Africa. Right. Um, and so they'd go to South Africa for jobs, but xenophobia is so bad in South Africa that they'd kind of get run out. Um, and they'd come to Swaziland, which is very... Among the whites, or, or, or whites no, and among, blacks? Among native South Africans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it's kind of like the whole like immigration thing here. It's like, oh, they're coming in, um, they're taking our like, you know, like our menial jobs. service yeah. labor jobs, and so there's a lot of xenophobia against refugees coming from other countries. Yeah. Right. Plus, South Africa is like... Has its own... Like was just getting over and still not over apartheid, and, yeah. um, and so they'd go to South Africa and then kind of get forced into Swaziland. And Swaziland's very a very peaceful country, very but it's super poor and there were no jobs available. So it was like they were safe, but they couldn't what's really the, find any means. What's the vibe in the camp? Like the morale? Like what's what's the the is it? They is were. It, I mean, I have to say, probably our closest friends that we made in the Peace Corps were from the camp. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were very kind to us. They were they trying to keep like a happy front, but with a sad back, or 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 is it gen- genuinely like? You know, it, it's interesting coming in. Um, you know, they definitely looked. Um, to organizations like the UNHCR and stuff like that. It was sort of like, you need to like help us like get out of the situation. And so I think they kind of saw us as sort of like that at The people first. advocated for themselves. Yeah, yeah, um, because UNHCR really wasn't a presence there, which is the United Nations High Commission for Refugees Affairs. It's basically um, the 
biggest organization in the world that helps refugees. It's the ones who fund those huge camps and stuff like that. And so once they realized that we weren't UNHCR, um, they viewed us as kind of like other, they, they had lots of people come through, like white people come through with like mission trips and stuff like that and say like, we're going to do this for you. And like, we're going to like, we're going to build you this and stuff like that. And it just like never comes, like it just never happens. And so at first it was like, when they realized we weren't at UNHCR, they viewed us with a lot of suspicion. Um, especially like, um, especially the Somalians, because they'd had a lot of uh, promises sort of like made and then um, broken. And I think what... That, you think that other people were just, they just, th- their hopes were more like already tamped down because of the, they were there longer? Well, yeah, and I think like so many, you find this too, so I'm at the, in the school of planning here, and you see this in communities, even in Cincinnati, like organizations will come in and they'll like do studies and they'll survey and do all of this research on the organization. So people would come into the camp and say like, okay, Take how many people are here? And get their like, stories. Yeah. And... Um, and then say, okay, yeah, like we're going to help you. But it was really just like what they wanted was that story so that they could say like, oh, this is happening. Like, look, I went to Africa and I saw this. Mm-hmm. And then they never follow through with any sort of plan that they said that they'd help out with. So and, they were just seeing all these, yeah. and it is, it's mostly like, you know, white, like Christian volunteers who come for like 10 days or 20 days on a mission trip. There's a great Louis C.K. Yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I yeah. Do. Oh yeah, like the, the Guatemala, like, yeah, yeah. 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 I went to Guatemala. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, it's all right, let's take this hard. picture. I have to say, like, being a Peace Corps volunteer, like, we were just... We were pretty disappointing, I think. Like, there's only so much you can do. So, what 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 are the abilities of the Peace Corps? I mean, do they have money, or do they? Yeah. We well, not us. Um, I mean, we lived like you know under two dollars a day. I'm not saying, but the organization can they do things? Yes. Yeah. We we had the ability to um, get grant, and we actually did get quite a few projects. You're totally underselling us, Addie. We got quite a few projects funded. We were awesome. Yeah, no. So Addie got her sanitation project, which was amazing. Um, you and cut then, down on, on the communicable diseases, I'm sure, right? In the camp. I think, honestly, I think the legacy of that project is we brought attention to it, and eventually pit latrines were put in okay. after we left. And it brought attention to women at the camp, mm-hmm. and it spurred like a kind of like a, what is it called? Like a microfinance loan for like small businesses for women. What do you mean brought attention to the women? Well, you, you, and you did that one income generation uh, workshop just with women. Yeah. Well, because I think so often at the camp on the different topics, like the men are put in charge of things. And so we would work with the men at the camp because they were like the leaders. Um, And this workshop really focused on like empowering women and um, especially since women are the ones who uh, work in the home and deal with the food and cooking and all the kind of sanitation process that you have to take, um, I was able to work a lot with them. Um, and I just think that they don't, women in general, especially in Swaziland um, and also at the camp, just don't get a lot of attention or they don't, they're not able to the same economic opportunities that are available to the men um, aren't necessarily available to the women, even though um, most of them have, I think, the most, like, 
uh, economically viable skills um, that exist in that community, like yeah. cooking, so and, like cooking, and um, I don't know, like just they have that that connection yeah. to like um, I don't know sell things and stuff like that. But I really I think like most like a majority of like the uh, the women who were kind of like entrepreneurs, you know, like sold baked goods or, um, you know, uh, would get secondhand clothes from Mozambique and, and sell those. Um, and so there was kind of this really untapped, like, pool of, like, uh, talent that I think Addie, um, with the with the sanitation workshop and with her income generation workshop that she did later, like, really kind of tapped into and, um, and I think taught, taught women some really valuable, like, economic, um, like, empowerment skills. I mean, do people work? I mean, how, if they do work, even men or whatever, what what do they do? Or or is that the whole issue? Is that yeah. there are there are, no there jobs? are so like there's civil jobs, right? Yeah. So you have like teachers and you have your policemen that work within the camp. You mean no? Uh, in the community, but in and the camp there was like security guards. There but was all yeah, there was administration. Um, but I guess yeah, the people at the camp were all unemployed, unemployed self like self subsistence farmers. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and so they would kind of like because they the government was totally fucked up. So like they weren't actually refugees; they were still asylum seekers. So that meant they basically had no rights in the country. Right. Um, so any sort of economic and, that, and is that why the UN didn't fuck with them either? Yeah. Well, the UN really. The, that camp was hardly on their radar. You know, right, it's a so small, small camp, yeah. 400 people in, like, you know, this small country. You know, when they were dealing with, like, camps in Kenya that were, like, bigger than, like, yeah. you know, most cities and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. Um, so most of the jobs were under the table, um, yeah. selling clothes from Mozambique, um, you know, sell, like, selling food out of their house or something like that. Right. They did have a large community garden. Um, that they lived off of, and then uh, who, who was the food organization that fed the children there? Uh, Caritas. Yeah. A, a states-based Catholic organization provided food only for um, the children and for the infirm. And basically, the the, the really messed up thing about it is, um, you know, they would come to this refugee camp and they'd only be fed for three months. But then they'd have no other economic opportunity to, like, get formal jobs or anything like that. So it was really hand-to-mouth um, mm-hmm. for a lot of these people because they, they couldn't legally work and they had no other way to feed themselves. So there's no real way for them to get out of the camp? <sighs> Some, like, after we left, um, they did, uh, quite a few got refugee status and moved to the city and um, got jobs. Um, mm-hmm. And... I mean, really, I mean, jobs, it's like they work in um, these sort of makeshift um, stores that sell, like, general goods, you know, mm-hmm. like matches, anything from, like, matches to, like, juice to, like... General store. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there's, like, a there's like a row like of, like, 50 of them all selling the same thing, right. you know? Um, and so they work, like, 12 hours a day, sleep at the shop, and, you know, are barely scraping by. Right. So, I mean, that, like... Yeah, our, our how much our, better is that? Exactly. Um, so our our best friend from the camp uh, eventually got his refugee status and moved to the city, and like I, it's debatable whether he's better off, you yeah. know, working, you know. Mm. 
So, uh, but I think our biggest project um, was we renovated a block of like derelict buildings and put in a library. Um, and that was that was I think our biggest money like grant wise, um, and I think our our biggest like success like tangible, you know besides all the relationships Who, that we whose built. Whose idea was it to do that or, or decision? That was um, that actually didn't come from us. Um, that came from a lady who was a former refugee, um, and she had been to the camp and stuff and really wanted um, she she'd become like a really successful businesswoman. Um, and really, she was living where she was living in the capital city, uh-huh. um, but she'd been a former refugee. Um, she was a former refugee from Mozambique. Mozambique she yeah. moved with her family over, and so she got in touch um, with our with our director, um, who got in touch with us, um, who and she's like, I really want to fund a library. Um, so she came up with the original money um, that came with the reno- that uh, funded the initial renovation, um, and so. Then we applied for a big grant that finished the renovation and another grant that uh, brought in books. Um, so we took this like really like derelict building to uh, into like a library that's still functioning and um, Helligator Records, yeah. the, the t-shirt you bought. Yeah. So all that money funds um, the library now. Right. Cool. Cool. That's probably, yeah, I'd say that's our biggest success because it's still going mm-hmm. on two years without us there. Yeah. And so... It's still a pretty successful project. And the campus had their issues along the way. Um, but the library's been able to stay. And there's been a lot of community activity. They, like, painted really cool murals at the um, library and got more books and have... Yeah, and they're holding classes there, like, after school, like, kind of tutoring things and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, um, And what's really great is, like, all of that was, um, like, we initially put in like you know like the money and um and the kind of at that point we'd almost been there for two years and so we were like really close and really tight with all the um refugees so like we we all kind of worked together to renovate the library and um and it it was Was completely all the refugees okay yeah um so and it was completely and the peace corps people uh mostly addy and i I mean, okay, we, yeah. So, so yeah, because we're in like Ryan and I, they assigned us to a community, and there were other volunteers in Swaziland, but they're all in different villages doing. So we're I not see. So all, the two like, of you together. were the only were the only Peace Corps people in this in the area. Camp. Yeah, and in, in the whole like area. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah. Were, did you know each other before that? Yeah, we yeah, were married. We've been married for okay, six years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That would have been romantic. Though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. If we met, like, yeah. I actually know the, some Peace Corps volunteers who met overseas. Absolutely. It happens like every group that yeah. like a pair like right. meet and like, or or meet like a local and get married. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. Well, that yeah. That's do you, do you ever get hankerings to go back there and check out <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, actually, they just posted yeah, we like really Peace Corps just posted a job to like be a, a Peace Corps trainer out there for the new volunteers coming in, and I made a joke to Ryan, and then he was like, "No, you should like we should seriously do it." Um, and I think that like Swaziland will always we will always hold it dear, and I want to go back and visit. Um, but it was tough. Like, was, I yeah. mean, it was hard. You're two years, you know, you kind of, like, I think I 
um, built up living, like as it, what it meant to be a Peace Corps volunteer, what it meant to live overseas. And you have all these fantasies of like how great it's going to be. And then you get there and you're like, wow, like living in a developing country sucks. Like, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it, it sucks. Like, I mean, it sucks for like, you know, like everybody, you know, everybody there. Cause, um, I'm like, I've just been, um, preparing like a, a, a I'm a research assistant at, um, at, uh, at UC and I've, I'm helping a professor put together a lecture on absolute poverty and it so it's all just kind of been coming back What's to me absolute as absolute poverty absolute poverty is like nothing. absolute yeah so like you know if you're and this is how it was if your crops failed that year you're fucked you know you're done like there's no safety net for you um, if you if your corn fails um, and so yeah it was like you know people are over there really scraping together like a meager existence and so it was really hard um, sort of adjusting but the two things that I really like took away from it I really liked is it was really great going over with Addy because like it like living in like a small like what's the bond did you guys yeah two yeah. like you know yeah, 10 by 10 Peace Corps you're good to go <laughs> house yeah and like you know peeing in a bucket and like you know stuff like that like yeah, it, it like anything anything now like like we've been through that you know, mm-hmm. but also um, you're confronted for the first time um, with your culture like that you yourself like have a culture, you know it's like the first time like like I compare it to like when you um, when you watch a movie and you hear a British guy doing an American accent right you're like what like no I don't have an accent like right. they have an accent I don't have an accent right and so you spend so much of your time in school and stuff studying other cultures um, but it it really when you travel overseas and when you live overseas it drives home that you you yourself have a culture and so, like the things that you take for granted like just like just I don't know, just like basic ways that you see the world are so fundamentally different to other people that when you when you're confronted with that, it's it really is is kind of mind blowing, and you kind of have to take a step back and really sort of like examine yourself and do some like kind of deep introspective work. Did you take take some some good uh, anything from from the culture there that you integrated into your lives? Yeah, I think. Uh... The hardest thing to address to over there, and we were kind of joking in the beginning about I mean, there's a lot of different cultures there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but the Swazi culture. Yeah, the Swazi Swazi culture. culture. (laughs) We were joking before about how much television we watched, but we really did watch a lot of television. (laughs) But the pace of life is really slow. And, like, a good, like, a busy work week for me was, like, a 20-hour work week, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you're working on one workshop that's, like, four hours a day for that week, you're done. Like Because everything else takes so long to do. Yeah. And so I think eventually adjusting to that, once you got used to that, it was amazing. And you got to really focus on yourself and what you like. And, you know, we got to read a fellowship. so much. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, fellowship and get to know other cultures. Um, and coming back to the US and then starting because Ryan and I started school right away I don't know if that was like the worst this is going to be so loud by the way <laughs> yeah the, all the chain no it's alright it's alright our, our listeners will understand yeah. that, that's the dog's <laughs> necklace <laughs> he just wants to be a part of it um, but coming back to the US and like trying to adjust to the fast pace of life like I think I still 
am not there yet. Right. It's just so exhausting. Yeah, I'm tired that. all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. terrible. Um, and so when I think of Swaziland, going back to that, I think like, yeah, like that they have something right there, you know, where they really do spend a lot of time with their family and working together. And, you know, but everything else does take a long time. You know, we spent so much time like doing laundry by hand or... Um, but yeah, coming back to the States, I wish that we had a much slower lifestyle, but I don't think we've successfully adapted, like, America stops for no one, and, like, I can't tell my, you know, my professors or my job, like, come on, like, I just want to work, I just want to work 20 hours a week and hang out with my, you know, husband or, you know, go out and enjoy life, um, so that's something I really enjoyed, something that I've still not really gotten over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Well, do, do you want to ask me anything? Because, um, you know, we're, we're about 30 minutes in. I, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just, I, I know that this, you know, being your, initially your podcast. No, no, no. It's, it's fine. I, I want to respect that. Um, First, can I say, so... Yoni, you are the reason. I remember when Ryan and I first met, and he was really big into making like mixtapes for his girls, you know. And so he for my girls, for I he, won you over for him. For yeah, girl. he did. So I had never heard of why. And he, I was in Seattle, right? And you had like sent me. No, I came down to visit you, and you were listening. And you were to in Colorado. Why. I was in Utah. I was Utah, in Salt Lake, okay. yeah. And you were listening to why I'm like, oh, who is this? Like, who is no, this? No, I put it amazing. on for you. I, yeah. I want to make sure you were down. And it, like, blew me away. And then we saw why in Salt Lake. And, like, so. Okay. Meeting you is, like, a huge. I don't know if you get this. At the, it's a at huge the, deal. Uh, <laughs> at, at the, which place did, we, did, you, did you come to the show at? We, the first time you was at the venue, it was when you played with Yo, Dark, 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 Dark. Oh, no. Dark, Dark, Dark. Okay. Um, and, uh. <laughs> And AU or yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. You Which, made a really funny joke about how you were like I like Salt Lake City I like white people <laughs> anyway it was good it was really good so true and actually yeah I we'll kind of get into like stuff that I want to talk about and um the or the whole reason why I have my podcast but um the first time that I saw um you guys um was in Salt Lake was um with Yola Tango uh huh um. That same place, right? Yeah, same yeah. place. Yeah, um, and what? Uh, and so my my whole podcast is about experimental music, um, okay, and talking to experimental music musicians and exploring. I don't, I don't know if I. I mean, well, I, it's experimental for me. But I don't know that listening to it, people would characterize it. I would. I, I've I've got some reasons why I think. Okay. It is. Um, but what I really like exploring is where sort of like experimental music and personal development or like. Um, personal identity kind of come into place um and so when i when i saw when i saw you guys um it kind of in this whole like trajectory of like my musical experience uh, listening and writing about music and um i'd i'd heard of anticon before and i'd heard of why a friend of mine um had a big like anti that the ant logo like on his car like it was like he like made stickers and it was like this huge like ant logo um and he got me like into like really um like good like 90s hip-hop like latirics and like mm-hmm. lifesavers and 
another bad creation and stuff like that. And so he was like really into um, the whole anti-con thing, especially another like bad the, creation. Yeah. yeah, does that fit with? The, I don't know. I just did ABC. Yeah, TV. yeah. It, I don't know if it's. I thought that. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. So I, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's the ABC DDD. Is it? I think so. <laughs> so like he was he was super into the whole anti-con thing in the early 2000s and um so when I when I I didn't even I don't think I even knew that you you guys were opening for Yola Tango. Um but when I when I saw you guys I kind of put and I saw like the the ant logo on the back of the CD. I like put two and two together. Okay. Um and um I was really really impressed. Um I think you were doing like this thing where you were playing some sort of like weird sort of like pump organ thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that the Yola show? Yeah, yeah. You were like, maybe my memory isn't serving me right, but like, um, you were playing this weird sort of like, yeah, it was kind of like a like almost like a pump organ thing. I, I it, no, I didn't have a pump organ. I had, but a, it was something you controlled pedals. You controlled I had your a, feet. I had a Casio that had a bunch of pedals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was, I had like, I remember I had a volume pedal and a wah wah pedal. And a, and a delay, yeah, and some other effects. Maybe, yeah. maybe back then, like, that's, I, like, I didn't really know what those were. And so, yeah. like, I, uh, I just seen people at church, like, play, like, the, right. <laughs> like, right. the organ, like, and control, like, the pitch and the tone with their feet. Right. Um, so that's kind of what, maybe what I associated with. But, um, no, like, when you say, like, oh, I don't know if we're experimental, like, I definitely think in the whole, um, Kind of breaking down of genres that goes on in your music, I would definitely um, put that on the experimental side, and also like the um, the percussion, um, like Josiah Josiah's drums and Dog's bass, like it's almost like rooted in this like sort of like Steve Reich sort of like minimalism or like Philip Glass sort of minimalism um, that I, I hear a lot in your in, in your music. So I would definitely that's like, like repetitive shit. That I'm, is. A, I'm a bad musician, <laughs> <laughs> so if I, I just yeah just play I can't play too many things. I just play it over and over again. <laughs> well, that, that's kind of what like really because uh, at that time I I think I'd heard like um, you know music for eighteen musicians for the first time and like I was really into like um, like uh, Philip Glass's scores and stuff like that and so yeah. I'd, I'd hear those like repeated like melodies like over yeah and no over we like that kind of stuff mm -hmm. yeah. If yeah. it makes you feel better, most of the things Ryan's listened to is not very palatable for me, but why? Yes. I love okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's pop music for all intents and purposes, but I mean, obviously... But there's a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah it's not straightforward pop, yeah. And uh, another thing that I really responded to was your was your songwriting. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that, that, I mean, I think more than anything, like, um, that's what, I, that's what like, in, immediately sort of, like, drew me in. Um and some of the, I think some of the concept and concepts and some of the themes that you explore in your lyrics, um, had from that time of like 2006. So like even now, like I, uh, I find myself like going back to, um, mm -hmm. especially like I, I feel like there's this sense of like hopeful agnosticism that is kind of like if it's kind of like a thread throughout your lyrics. Yeah. Um, 
that now especially um, like just within the last year like I find myself like really sort of like gravitating towards and sort of um, not maybe not a worldview but like um, definitely a sentiment that I I completely can identify with. I think there's a lot of us out there that are like hopeful agnostics, <laughs> yeah, positive agnostics, or you know, or you know, we just we, you know we say yes to science and then understand what we can understand through that, but think there's probably other things going on out there, mm-hmm. most likely, but we don't know. Yeah, and uh, but we try to stay positive. There's a lot of us out there. Yeah, yeah, and. So we can kind of get into my like whole thing of, of why that's like um, meaningful to me. But like since I started listening to your like podcast, it, it kind of some of the lyrics and stuff like you sort of get some sort of you get a little bit more context. And I think that's the. Is that bad? Does that take the mystery out, abso- of, out no. of my, uh, you know, you, you think that I'm some weird, dark, mysterious master of, of uh, <laughs> insanity? No, absolutely not. Like. One of the reasons why I love writing about music um, and and reading about art and stuff like that is I find I appreciate it even more when there's some sort of context, mm-hmm. um, when you can understand if you're looking at, like say, the development of a, a musical genre or, or um, innovators within music, when you're kind of knowing what they're working against um, or kind of the, the the popular like milieu of of the time and why they were so innovative innovative i think it i think it um adds a lot more to it um and so in that context when you're learning when you learn when you know about somebody's life and you can kind of like kind of pick out some things where you're like oh well you know he or she may have been talking about this reference well, i know drake's from toronto <laughs> exactly so I when he... <laughs> he's in degrassi high so when he says yeah, yeah does drake ever talk about degrassi in his music uh, he, yeah he has. oh when he, when he talks he about has. like being a, like an actor and stuff like that he has yeah yeah and and so yeah so when you're putting some sort of context to that i think it kind of i think it can um if, if you're in if you're interested in that it can kind of be a little bit more um I don't know, uh, in- engaging. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can I can understand that that uh, that viewpoint. Yeah. So, and this is kind of an interesting interview because I don't know like because usually what I do in, in my interviews is I um, ask somebody about their um, like growing up and what was some really important musical discoveries. Um, but I feel like you already know that stuff. Yeah, well, I, 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 yeah, I, I feel like you've pretty much like covered that. Um, but uh, yeah, so, some things I haven't revealed. I don't. I don't know. Um, I what know. was? Uh, I guess I could ask. Like, what was your first experience when you really like? When you realized you really like loved music? When when you when that was something that you realized like I could do that. That I could do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would go back to Midnight Marauders, Tri-Pro Quest, probably, yeah. like, hearing that for the first time. That was the two, the, the two things that, and I've said this before, perhaps in other podcasts, but in other interviews and stuff, but the two, like, experiences with music, I think, as a young teen, that kind of, like, awakened something within me, was first when I was, like, 13, and that was Ground Control to Major Tom mm. by, by, uh, What's his name? David Bowie. And I, I was never even a David Bowie head, exactly. I don't dislike him whatsoever, but I didn't get deep into him. But 
for some reason I heard that song on the radio in my friend's mom's car and like I actually like listened to it from from beginning to end and the whole story and like and and just the production the psychedelic sound of it you know and that was really like oh okay music you know like before that music had been something that like I I listen to because my brother and his friends listen to certain things like Striper or whatever like you, you know your brother listen to Striper Josiah, yeah. you, you guys were into Striper? Yeah. Was that with the whole, like, messianic Jewish thing? Uh, well, yeah, we, we weren't really li- allowed to listen to secular music. Oh, okay, so, so because yeah. it was a Christian rock band, like, right. it was cool? We, it was okay, uh-huh. yeah. Um, so, you know, or, or before that, there was this band called Lamb that was messianic Jewish, hmm. and, like, so, like, we would listen to that, and that was, that was like, our idols, and they were, they were, like, almost, like, distant uncles really because they were within the movement and anybody what, within the mu- movement was pretty close because it was small you sure know? what kind of music was lamb lamb was um i'd say folk rock I, like it almost sounded a little bit like uh elton john hmm. uh mixed with like I, I don't know like pure prairie league or something you know i don't i don't know but e- exploring like messianic jewish themes yeah but with yeah As for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, for you who are little among Judah, from you shall he come, come forth to me, who is to be ruler in Israel, and his name shall be called. Wonderful, and his name shall be called Mighty God, and he shall rule all nations, for he shall be happy. In latter days, will the Lord's house be Um, so the first, like, and then, and then, like, my, my, I had another friend, like, my best friend at the time was, like, into, like, Beastie Boys, so, like, you know, I would hear, but that never really touched me, you know, um, but then I heard this, this one David Bowie song, and then, then after that, I started listening to, like, classic rock, and the Beatles, and Bob Dylan, and, you know, and these kind of people, uh, and getting like deep into music, mm-hmm. you know, and then and then the second thing was that Midnight Marauders album. Rock. 
Foxy. Jake be getting early when the sun get dark. He be coming out the heads, but you don't let me start. There's activities are plenty in the nighttime. So the ghetto child is seem to be the right time. See, kids be getting stuck with jewels of fly gimmicks. Shorty see the action and it starts to mimic. Running to the corner, the dice game is raising. Looking at the loop, it seems so amazing. And that was the one where, like, I didn't necessarily think right away, like, I can do this. But that was the start of hip of listening to hip-hop for me, which, after listening to hip-hop throughout, like, all of high school, I started to feel like that was something I wanted to do. And how did you, like, initially realize that you could, like, rap or you could sing? Was, it, was that something that you did on your own, or was that something that was encouraged by your friends or in kind of the culture around you? Well, we had, you know, me and my friend Jamie Brill, like we would jam a lot and we would kind of freestyle but we we didn't you know that was really just like when we were like hanging it just the two of us or two you know a couple three friends smoking weed and playing you know what i mean mm-hmm. like what we weren't like trying to do nothing with it really um and you know it was just all all in like fun kind of fun stuff and jokey um, and then, uh, but I was, but I also like wrote raps like by myself, like by myself, like that I would just rap for myself. And what, like, so you started like listening only to, um, sounds like only like approved non-secular music. What, what was the break when you realized, when you just, when you stopped listening to that and you started seeking out secular music or, or no, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like that was around, out? around like 13 was okay. like when I, st- like my dad actually bought like I just found him at the house like there was like a, a cup, two Beatles tapes and two Bob Dylan tapes and before that it wasn't like you know if we were caught listening to the Beatles or something it was going to be a problem right. but you know we, we we were not we we couldn't have have like had like a like a George Michaels tapes uh, or, or or a Tiffany or some shit that. you know because it's, it's it has sexual references mm-hmm. and and you know, I mean, it, there, I wouldn't even, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not even putting rap into this. Right. That wasn't even a question, and I wasn't sure. even interested in yeah, rap. Yeah. That was the that was the sound of the schools that I went to, and I didn't like it because it sounded too um, uh, manufactured. Like the drums sounded fake, and the you know, and I was a drummer. You know, okay. it's like oh, okay, well, the I remember saying that me and my brother like. We only like real drums or whatever, you know. Um, so that wasn't even a question. But yeah, like some kind of pop music or something, you know, that we would have heard on the radio. If we were listening to that at home, it might have been a problem. You know, Amy Grant, yes. Yeah. Debbie Gibson, not really. Okay. You know. Sure. I got grounded over uh, Usher's first single. Right. Oh, that would have been. That was no way. No, no. no way. Yeah. For a week. I was in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I guess I can uh, sort of identify um, with that. Um, you know, you said you, you grew up Messianic Jewish. Did you ever, like... Masonic. Masonic Jewish. No, no not Masonic. <laughs> no, that's me. No, that's, I, I, grew, I grew up Mormon. Mormon? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. so I can definitely identify um, with the, uh, you know, with the really tight-knit religious community. Yeah. Um, with the my family didn't have a, a rule against no secular music. I think mostly because like Mormon hasn't Mormonism hasn't really been that good at like producing like good viable pop stars or even right. rock bands or anything like that would be totally out of the question. Um, 
Was not, it was it pretty? I'm sorry, but I have yeah, to ask no, about no. it. Yeah, was it pretty pretty strict? Uh, or, yeah, yeah. I mean, I but think not fundamental. No, not fundamental. I mean, Mormonism is a sort of fundamentalist religion. I mean, in in that it takes things literally, like it takes the Bible literally, kind of, and it takes the idea of God and Jesus, all that literally. So, I mean, how far ever you want to go with but that and, and calling something fundamentalist? Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it, I think. Yeah, it was strict. I mean, in terms of the the Mormon principles, like you know, extra wives. Oh and... no, 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 no. Oh, so fundamentalism, like fundam. Okay, yeah. So I'm I, talking about that. I, I understand what you mean by fundam- Mormon fundamentalist. Fundamentalist. Yeah. No, no, not Mormon okay. fundamentalist. No, no, no. Gotcha. Um, no, we're mainline Mormon church. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, but it was strict in that, like, like probably any other Christian household is strict. Yeah. Um, you know, like no rated R movies, no MTV. Um, you know, same uh, here. Yeah, yeah e- even though my parents listen to secular music and we we would have the radio on, but it definitely shaped my identity. Um, in that, like, I would put that first before anything else. Um, and so that's why I'm so interested in um, in people's personal identity through music, because I never really like if some somebody identified themselves as like a punk. You know, like that—that that wasn't me because I was a Mormon before I was anything else. You know what I mean? So I think it allowed me a certain amount of like. In how, how long did you did you stay within the fold? I mean, well, <laughs> you're still there. That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. That's a whole like can of worms right now because like we've definitely moved on from a um, from a literal belief or, or, and. Who's we? Mormons in general? Like or? Addie and I. Yeah. So I was also raised Mormon. Oh, okay, interesting. And, but it was different. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and like if you're Mormon, you always make a joke like there's East Coast Mormons and then there's West Coast Mormons. So I was an East Coast Mormon. Ryan was a West Coast Mormon. I grew up very different. Did your people Ryan. just not make it out there, or or they made it out there? <laughs> no, my back. parents so converted <laughs> to Mormonism when they were in high school. Yeah. So, um, like my, I don't have a long generation of. Mormonism and honestly, my they got, they got taken by the guys in the white shirts. <laughs> they did. Yeah. So did my parents. And I was, and we'll get in. Maybe Interesting. Get so in not no later. generational thing. It's just just no. Both your parents. No, but it's, it's got very converted. much. Yeah, but it's very much a culture that you um, that subsumes everything else, really. So. But my family, so I have. There's five siblings. There's five of us, and none of my siblings stayed Mormon, and I kind of. For whatever reason, just never really left. And then when I went off to college, my parents, they have like, it sounds so weird now explaining it. (laughs) It's embarrassing. They have these, they call them singles wards, but it's like if you're a single, like, you know, 18 to, you know, 30 year old, they have these special churches that they take you to. (laughs) To meet somebody? To meet somebody. Yeah, Yeah, it's like your social network. So they, when I went to school in Seattle, my parents took me to this single sword. And, like, it's like I kind of was always trying to break away. But you always, like, that's your social network. It's like a really, I was moving from Pennsylvania to Washington. And I didn't know anyone, so it was an easy social network. Yeah. And anyway, so that's how I met. I met Ryan through friends there. So we met through the church. Were um, you in the singles ward in Utah? Or? Our whole story is, is really 
kind of long. Um, but basically, so you know the guys in the white shirts. Yeah, I did that. You were for that, two years. Right. Yeah. Did you do that as well? I mean, you're no, a lady. No, I didn't. So. Ladies can. They I can. just never. To be honest, my interest in the church was always familial. I did it because my parents did it. Uh-huh. I have always. I and I still do have less respect for the church than I once did, but I have respect for. Um, the church in some ways and so I just for I just didn't break away um so Ryan served his mission in Seattle okay mm-hmm. and I went to the University yeah. of Washington in Seattle we did not meet well he was serving his mission he served his mission before I was there no we, we overlapped I don't think we ever met though yeah we think we briefly overlapped but you friends of friends friends of friends, friends, of friends. okay and so he came up to um he dated after his mission he dated a girl who later became a really good friend of mine. It didn't work out, and she got married and invited Ryan to the wedding, and I was her, one of her bridesmaids. So we met at her wedding. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then dated long distance. Um, but we were still, I mean, in regards to the church, we got married in the Mormon temple. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of found Ryan. Ryan was, like, the only cool Mormon <laughs> that so would, so like... you got married in the main temple, you're saying? Or you, no. Or uh, I mean, there's temples in, all in over. Seattle? Over no, the world. no I, but I'm saying there's there's, yeah, there's yeah. ground zero in in, in so it wasn't in that no, one. No, we got married in actually we did get <laughs> so like in Palmyra, New York is where if you, anyone knows Mormon, Mormon history, that's like where it started. Okay, yeah, and it's the closest to my hometown, and so that's where we got. Married. I, I read the book under the banner of, of yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we've got that. So you so you got some sort of context. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean a bit, and I grew up with one person in my class that was Mormon um, in elementary school. I mean, this is not a Mormon stronghold in Cincinnati. No, certainly not. So one family that I knew, they were really cool. They were blonde. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, we, we did, we're we not in part of that whole blonde-haired, <laughs> blue-eyed... I can see it with you. T- no, no, I guess not. No, not, no. You're not even racially Mormon. Uh, no, I'm not. So, well, but, ra- but racially, it's not really... You can you almost see, say that now. You can almost that say that, yeah. Because he's West Coast Mormon. Right. Exactly. I, 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 grew, I grew up closer to the Mecca, so <laughs> right. some of that glow right. like right, right. washed off on me. But I want to know what you guys... How, what your belief system is now if you're you're saying you're you're teetering on the verge of well i mean i don't know if teetering is the, is the right word anymore um i mean like the they're very strong cultural ties yeah. and, and very strong family ties especially with my parents um I'm, my parents are like you know true blue um it defines their whole whole worldview my dad's a um like a bishop uh which is like kind of like a, a pastor in in the church um so we kind of made it's it's kind of a interesting story because I've never really felt like intellectually or spiritually like connected to it, you know, and and so that's that's kind of where my interest in all of this takes place is because like at some point like you had to make like a break, you know, where even if you, even it comes down to like your musical choices, you know, like I'm not going to listen to I'm going to listen to secular music now, mm-hmm. and for me it was sort of like I I never like. I really wanted it to be true, and I really wanted to believe it because that was like, um, you know, that was my family, that was like my social network, you know, that was everybody around me, you know, professed such a, a literal belief in the whole story. I mean, the whole story of Joseph Smith and the Golden Plates mm-hmm. and um, the Book of Mormon and um, all of these things that are unverifiable with science. Um, but required some sort of like active faith and belief. 
Um, but it goes beyond that in Mormonism because it's like, you know, faith, people don't use the words like, oh, I believe this or anything of that. It's like, I know this is true or something. Right. And, and the way they get that spiritual knowledge is through like a, uh, like a manifestation of like the Holy Ghost. You know, they pray, they say, is the, is the Book of Mormon true? God says yes. And that's, I don't understand how that necessarily works because that's never really happened. You've never felt that. No. That, so Have I, you prayed that? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. more than, you know, like... I went on a mission, you know, I was, I was like out there telling people like, this is true. And so like, yeah, I did it like, I mean, almost obsessively to the point where I finally kind of gave up and was just like, eh, whatever. It's like, um, I, I kind of like found other people who took, who were a lot more liberal, like in, in their view of like religion and faith and stuff like that. And found a lot of great comfort in sort of like being a religious liberal um that's that's a generational thing i mean that's our generation and i'm putting us in the same direction we're around the same yeah yeah i'm 30 is, yeah 35 okay so you know is the first i think generation to take to really liberalize uh christianity yeah and stuff like that i, I mean i i have a lot of friends that are christian that i jibe with totally because mm-hmm. we have a similar worldviews except for the fact that they believe in this thing that I don't yeah. really believe in. Yeah. And so that was really kind of my um that was my out for a really long time. Um and eventually just kind of through the years um I just realized that like I was forever going to be like a, a round peg in a square hole or something like that. And so like I would use the I would use like the excuse like oh well like I you know culturally like it's my culture you know and so like I'm uh, I'm connected to it culturally but then I don't like proposition 8 happened in like California and you, right. you, you know, start to realize like this isn't my culture yeah. you know what I mean like the, my culture is actively doing something that I completely disagree with. Yeah. And so then I'm like, okay, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to be like a, a, a source for change and progressiveness within the Mormon church. You know, they need, you know, people like Addie and I to prevent like uh, homogeny or something like that. But then, you know, so that was sort of my stance for a little while. And then I realized like at literally Sounds every... Sounds like what they're trying to do to the Catholic church too. It's like they're, they're, they're going to completely lose membership. For sure. If they don't change. But. Which is happening with Mormonism. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Mormonism similar. Yeah, so, like, our generation isn't going to teach their children. So, like, a really common line in the Mormon church is marriage is between a man and a woman. Like, right. That, you know, and stuff. And I will, I refuse to teach people that, right. children that. And then it's a generational thing. And as you're trying to push this down people's throats, like, they're going to leave. Because yeah. I'm going to say, listen, I can't, like... Mormons have like manuals where they teach their lessons out of like I don't believe any of this I'm not going to teach it so Mormonism numbers have fallen greatly within our generation yeah I mean this is kind of anecdotal but like all of our friends like who um, like we were really good friends with who you know were were progressive and and liberal have all left the church Um, because I think you get to this point especially maybe in your later 20s and early 30s when you're like, this is going to be my life forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always going to be butting up my head, like, against this thing. And then, um, like, especially, I'd, I'd done this, like, really deep research into the church. 
and like when you like when you really like do it's some, like Scientology. You oh, you're just like, the way layer, oh, you're just man. like oh man, and, and so no, like I mean that under the banner of heaven thing, was yeah, made pretty clear, what, right? You know how. <laughs> and so like you put that on the shelf because you're like oh, I need to make this work. I need to make this work. So finally, it's just like that shelf just like breaks. Like once you start loosening your associations with the things that you said you're in it for the first place family you know culture and stuff like that and i remember one of the biggest like things that like was like such a big like mental shift in my mind was addy and i we were walking like that's one of the things i took away from africa is walking like mm-hmm. i walk everywhere now because that's like I, it's a great way to kind of just be alone with your thoughts and you know that's the only way we had to get around really but we were walking and addy so addy's like wait so like explain this whole story to me and so i'm like well like you know like joseph smith like found these golden plates and she's like well, where are them where are they now i'm like well an angel like took them up to well, why, well, why, and, and why, so, why was he telling you this story you already knew this yeah, story but the thing is, you just want to hear it out of his mouth yeah, yeah a little bit but also there's a lot of things in mormonism and like mormon culture and history that as an east coast mormon i was never taught like i was oh. never taught these things and you're not taught you are taught you're not taught the history Nobody's really taught no. the history. You're no. not taught the history of the Mormon really? Church at you're, you're all. You're taught a very sanitized. You're taught a very sanitized, um, very uh, like vanilla, like glossing over all of like the really juicy, like all of the really like yeah. difficult stuff. Okay, see, so, all I know is that book. So yeah, I, yeah. I so yeah, you're, you're coming. You're coming at it. If, if you got it from like a. Um, if you got it from like uh, um, some Mormon missionaries, you yeah, know, yeah. you'd be like, oh, what's you know like. Okay. This makes sense. Swaziland had a lot to do with our transitioning. Like, we saw... That was the first time I'd ever been out of the United States, is when we served in the Peace Corps. And then to see a totally different culture, a totally different life, not dependent whatsoever on America or American values. And I think, like, we think that everyone... I say we, but, you know, Americans talk so much that like we think that everyone's always thinking about us all the time like they depend on us for everything and swazis go through their day they don't think about us at all they're just doing their own thing so but kind of finding this other world or how big the world is and how many cultures there are i think i definitely lost my religion in swaziland and i think it was a great thing like i was learning so many other uh other things but that's when I kind of started to question Ryan of like, or even think about it for the first time. Like think about the story that I was told you, as a but, kid. But Ryan, you were you were still holding fast in a I way. I wanted to, yeah, I really yeah. wanted to, because the cost of leaving is just so much. You know, what does that would, mean? You'd break ties with your family? I mean, you, no, not not no. I would not break ties. Like my my family is like, yeah, my parents they love us too much. It would be like an intense scrutiny. You yeah. know, it would be like knowing that I'm like breaking my mom's heart, knowing that she is banking on us like being together in heaven. Right. And I'm like totally just like, like, nope, not doing I that. I mean, it's the same here, but you have to, you know, and and, and like you said, like my, my family, that that is what my, you know, that's the number one um, identity of my family and, and upbringing was 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 the religion yeah and uh and that's how i identified myself as a kid as well you know um but you know at some point you know you have to follow your your heart and your intuition you know and i i don't know like i I think there's a lot of factors like i'm the oldest you know um 
uh, and and so like being like loyal to my family was really important to me and also like i mean my my, my parents are just like it's just like everything to them mm-hmm. and right around that time when i had like um when i was like really doing my deep dive into like mormon history and mormon mormon research my, my brother left the church um and so like my you know that was such a, like a devastating thing in my family that i had to like you know assume that like oldest son role kind of like keeping keeping it all together um but yeah eventually those those ties and those associations weaken and like that process also scared the shit out of us because we saw how his mother would react to such an event she really what what do you mean such an event Uh, of leaving the church yeah Yeah, like because at first you think like oh it'll be fine but it was like every conversation you have with her is about this and about him leaving and can you please pray for him can you please ask him to go to church can you, and it was just exhausting and so i think that's the why it's taken us so long to kind of distance ourselves from the church even if we want it want to is because we know we're going to have to go through that yeah and just like at that point in our life i don't think we were ready for that sort of scrutiny but you still haven't done that we still haven't but what does that mean i mean that's a you just say you have the belief that you have i mean i never had an official like i'm leaving the you know i never i never had that like i am leaving the faith now yeah you didn't have to we have to do that we have to like physic you know because there's so many like other things that go into it like why aren't you going to church you know why aren't you like you know like do you go to church here not really i mean every once in a while I mean, mostly yeah. because of, like, I I still find some value in it. You know what I mean? It's not like it's totally like I hate it or anything like that. I just don't have a literal belief in it. You yeah. know what I mean? I can I can I can see the good that it does in in people's lives and stuff like that. And so, and a lot of that is just sort of hedging against this time we are gonna have to like make this like formal declarative like this is not a part of our lives anymore. So if you didn't show up for a month or a year. Yeah. I mean, are you going to be reported to your no, parents? No, like, no, no, no. But it's it's more like the um, just the I don't know, like the 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 scrutiny that that would come from it for for like from my parents. Like so, like you know, like you can only lie to them for so long. Like how was church? Like it was great. Right. <laughs> you know, like. And plus, you were thirty. You want to have some dignity. Like yeah. you want to be able to tell your parents, like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. You gotta be, here's my here's my thing. Here's my thing. Lay it on. We love some advice. Yeah, if I can say this, if I can say this, you don't want to have an a false relationship with your family. Your relationship with your family should be a hundred percent real. I mean, as much as possible. Obviously, a hundred percent is not always going to be possible. Right. <laughs> there are things that I do that I can't talk about to my parents, um, but uh, as much as possible, I don't know. I mean, something so fundamental as that—I don't mean fundamental as in fundamentalist—but yeah. something is so, you know, that that people base their lives on. You know, that's a big deal. I, 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 I don't know. I think, I think you want to open a dialogue and be, be real. That's what I think. Well, that, that's our plan. Um, and, and before, like, and, and I guess the reason why it seems like we're kind of waffling, waffling a little bit is because this is all relatively new. I see. That we've kind of admitted it to ourselves. And so that's, when, that's why I was saying when Adeline um, asked me kind of like, you know, like, so the golden plates, and like, she, like she's like, you didn't you know believe? about the golden plates. Well, she knew about okay. it, but, but she's just like, like we're just kind of like why. recapping. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm just, we're just kind of going through the whole thing. Right. And she asked me like, she's like, so you believe that? 
and like for the first time in my life I had really been like confronted with that like you know not these like questions in my mind but like somebody you know who I love saying like you know like like call me out I mean like you act like that's a crazy belief you have that crazy belief and my I think my answer was just like well uh like just I just I don't even know what I what I said but it was just like that was like a really big turning point and so yeah so this has been like a relatively like recent thing and and, and and I think the reason why I sort of like justify it is because like there doesn't have to be like a timeline on this, you know. Um, I still have like a, a good relationship with my parents, and I I know that. Um, and I've I've talked to my dad. I, I take that back. Like, uh, my dad and I have had some like long drawn out conversations where I've just like laid it out all on the table. But at the same time, like... But he won't tell your mom. No, no, no. That, that, that's kind of like a thing in our family. <laughs> like, yeah, we... Um, especially me and my brother. You know, like, we like, keep each other's secrets. Um, and, yeah, so, so the reason why I have... I don't feel like there's, like, a timeline on that. You know, and I can be um, real and authentic with her with... You know, like you said, there's not everything that you tell her. Like, there's a lot that I don't tell her, mm -hmm. you know? That doesn't mean that we don't have, like, a real and authentic relationship. However, I think it's going to come to a point, and it, it is coming to a point. I think Addie and I have made, you know, some decisions that it's going to be relatively recently where we're just going to be completely honest and just lay it out all on the table and say, like, this is where we're at. And it's unfortunate that there has to be, like, this clean break or like this declarative statement of disbelief but in really tight-knit religious communities like that it there has to be you know people um you know it, it, mormonism isn't just something that you just like uh especially when you're in a really strong mormon family that you just like don't do anymore maybe maybe people do i mean i, I don't i don't say that's not true for everybody possible. i don't know yeah. i mean i like i said i grew up in a tight-knit religious community yeah. and it, it I just sort of drifted away. Yeah, and, and it was, well, and how did that work? Did you stop going like when you yeah, when you were a teenager? I, just, I stopped going when I was like fifteen, mm -hmm. and uh, you know maybe there were a couple of, of arguments about it or something, but ultimately my parents understood that you can't force someone to to <laughs> stay in something and believe something that they don't believe, um, or that they're questioning. They're only going to distance themselves further. If you act like that, you know, right? Um, my, you know, my parents are, are are smart, and they're and they're also compassionate people. Um, we have this fundamental difference in belief system uh, and in worldview. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they're 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 pretty conservative with mm -hmm. with all their uh, ideas and, and beliefs, and, and I'm not. You know, I mean, my mom. I don't know. They they, they they're they're not one dimensional like that. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. have you know. They have depth to the to the way they think, but you know they're they're more aligned with, you know, definitely politically and and sort of culturally conservative. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not at all. So yeah, I mean, but we get along. You know, we, yeah. There, there's subjects that we don't really discuss that much, but they understand that that I'm 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 an authentic person living my life. Uh, and and trying to do the best I can and trying to trying to find something real in this in this world and and uh, I understand that they're they're doing the same you know mm -hmm. yeah and and this whole thing that we've talked been talking about I mean not to give us an out or anything like that 
but when you have like um like this topic that you can't bring up for fear not for fear of like what it'll do to somebody i think that speaks to like the family dynamic which it certainly does but i think it speaks i think more. you let it linger too long yeah but That's i think, it, I think. It, it speaks more to um the culture itself yeah, and 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 I think that that's really what we've been struggling with, is um, it, it certainly speaks to the fam- family dynamic that you know I have with my parents, but it really speaks to a culture that won't leave you, let you leave with dignity. Right, right. That so, you become more or less excommunicated. Exactly. See, I, I didn't, I didn't have that. Like it's a tight, it's a very tight knit community, mm-hmm. and you know, and all that. But they're they're, you know, they they were they were they were hippies sort of back in the 60s and that's when they sort of started this and got into it Mm -hmm. and so you know they don't draw that kind of hard line yeah the whole messianic jewish thing like that that kind of like didn't that come out of like the california in like the 60s like uh like bob Bob dylan kind of went through like uh, jews for jesus oh but this is a different thing it's different but it's similar ideas jews for jesus is more like um I don't know. I think is more tightly connected to like um, evangelical Christianity and, and attempting to convert Jews. I think mm. it was like started for that. That's to, that's to, the story that I've to heard. To convert Jews, yeah, that's okay. the story that I've heard. Um, whereas, again, the story that I've heard is sure. Messianic Judaism started by Jewish people that that fell into believing in Jesus, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I mean, uh, again, growing up in that they consider themselves to be more and and this is my interpretation and you know from a child's mind when i was that age but you know to be a little more uh genuine about the the, the reasons that they are but not to say that anyone that has a has a belief in something it can be disingenuous but you know i i don't know that that there's a the idea is that people have is that Jews for Jesus uses a little bit of trickery or some some kind of thing like that. That's yeah, the connotation yeah. that I have in my mind about it, even though it's tainted, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, religion in the 60s, especially like evangelical Christianity and stuff like that, and um, kind of took a weird, like, yeah, disingenuous turn. I finished watching a documentary on uh, Father Yod and the Source Family Band. Have you ever... Uh-uh. Like it was the whole the, the whole um the whole culture of like uh, gurus coming out and stuff like yeah. that and um yeah so religion use like kind of fueling this like I don't know counterculture like alternative um like communities and stuff like that the yeah yeah so like I, they, I didn't like, realize that the two were they try to st- like they don't they 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 try to make it distinctly Jewish. That's what they try to do. The, so the messianic, the messianic, not, yeah. Not the Jews for Jesus. N- not the Jews for Jesus as much. I think Jews for Jesus is a, l- a little more, you know, maybe. Oh, you said it's evangelicals trying to convert Jews to yeah, I mean, mainstream d- Christianity. That said, messianic Judaism is is I think it is tied into evangelical Christianity, or it was at least when I was a kid. And my dad watches Fox News and sure. stuff like that. So, uh, you know, at least when I was living there, um, and I mean five, four or five years ago when I was living there, um, but. Yeah, I, I mean, 
but they yeah they won't they don't say Jesus they say Yeshua okay you know they don't say Holy Spirit they say Ruach Hakodesh which okay. is that in Hebrew they say you know what I mean things like yeah, that yeah. so so it, it it retains a distinctly Jewish yeah they had try to identity. have keep it a Jewish feel and they you know and they definitely do celebrate all the Jewish holidays okay. and not the Christian holidays okay things like that so interesting um how many would you say in America are there is it a I I don't know okay. In Cincinnati, is it? Is, do you guys have a? Cause you're di- uh, my dad, you know, my dad's the the messianic rabbi. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, and I, I, of all of Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, because there's only one of all southeastern Ohio. Uh, no, there must okay. be some other ones in other. I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I honestly Ohio. don't really know, but okay. but I know in Cincinnati, as far as I know, there's only the one mm. Beth Messiah is called, mm. and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not sure. A couple hundred, maybe people. I really don't know. When I when when I left, it was maybe eighty to a hundred or something like that. I think as a kid. And when you say you left, like when you were fifteen, did you have this? I mean, did you? It it was a fade out. Okay. Yeah. Was it just like this doesn't like jive with me? Like I, I'm like this. Like I don't. Was it like a rebellion against your parents sort of thing, or was it like literally like like these are like the beliefs? Like, you can go down the list and say, like, I don't believe this, I don't believe this, I don't believe this. I think I really wanted to feel all these things as a kid, you know, and never really did. Prayed all, all, all the time and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, wanted to feel, like, the gifts of the Spirit as a kid, you know. Uh, never really did. Um, and then, you know, as I started to go to high school... You know, I started to become a teenager in earnest and and do things that teenagers do and hang out with other kids. Like I, all my friends were were part of the were part of the congregation before that, really, okay. for the yeah. most part. I mean, I had some school friends, but I never felt close to them. It always felt like I, I was I was uh, you know uh, Bruce Wayne or something like that when I was around them. And then you know I could be myself around my my my. Um, messianic friends um and i didn't even have that many of those either but yeah uh but yeah once i got into high school started to make friends uh that were regular regular kids and uh you know i i I feel i feel a a similar way um and that my identity was completely um shaped by um by my religious beliefs and by my religious identity um that I um you know went to public high school and my my friends were mormon um but there wasn't a huge population it's, it's southwest denver littleton colorado so i mean it's still kind of within the mormon corridor but that's where you went to high school mm-hmm. yeah okay. that's where i grew up was okay. in colorado um so yeah um i'm but, sorry when when were you in utah I was, I went to school there. I went to school at the university of utah yeah I see okay so yeah. you grew up in colorado that's what I, I, to, I grew up in colorado um, went on a two-year mission to Seattle. Yeah. Um, and then God knows they need it. They, they do, man. That that city. They were. Um, it, and I've got a crazy. You said you read what is the what? I've got a crazy story about that. Maybe I'll tell off the tape. Maybe I'll tell it's. But it's it's kind of spooky. Um, my connection to that book. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, but my so my identity was always Mormon. You know, before anything else. And, but I uh, I used and. Within Mormonism, there's very like codified um, expressions of emotion. You know what I mean? Um, 
where when things you things that you're allowed to say or no something? not not things that you, but ways that you're expected to act when you feel a certain way so like there's this really kind of like bizarre sort of masculinity that goes into mormonism where like it's totally okay for men to like be vulnerable and, and to cry um like i don't know if you've ever seen like glenn beck like he he plays on this a is lot he mormon? yeah he is okay um he, I, I actually have never seen him your dad would love glenn beck he's big he was a big well, fox news firebrand you know, i know who he is yeah 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 but it, so he so that's kind of like the the expression of 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 of, uh, of I don't emotion. I want to paint my dad as some kind of right wing like <laughs> bigot. That's if he you know, watches. He's a Fox sweetheart. News. My dad is a sweetheart. I don't doubt it. But, but he does. I'm get just into saying that. he'd yeah. probably love Glenn Beck. Um, so uh, you know you're you're kind of expected to to feel that way, and um, any sort of like negative emotion, you know, like um, you know they say like contention is of the devil. Or like anger, you don't want to feel anger, you know, because that that's that's bad. Or you know, you, like if you're if you're um, just sort of this like they're not really, but there's sort of like this uh, this uh, denying that the depression really exists, or like there's sort of like not not so much anymore. But there, I think I've, I kind of felt this undercurrent of like stigma against mental illness. It's mm-hmm. like oh, you're it's not like devil, yeah, like you just need to like just cheer up, you know, yeah. like you just need to like you know work harder, you know, like. You know, do better, like, you know, follow, read your scriptures, say your prayer, like, don't be so sad, you know? Um, and so I, I never I never really dealt with, like, um, depression, like, that bad or anything like that. But every, every emotion was kind of on the surface. And so what really drew me to music, um, first and foremost, was that I could explore um, emotions in sort of this almost, like, vicarious way. So there was something that was, like, um, external from me and external from my, my culture that I could, like, like um, songs that were really sad, I could like delve into that mm-hmm. in ways that I couldn't really express myself, um, you know, around my parents or around my like community or anything like that, or feelings of anger, you know. Um, I, I went through a big punk and hardcore phase. I, I shouldn't say phase because that's still a really big part of my life. Um, but it, it, it was ways that I could explore motion, emotions on a really, really real and really um, honest way mm-hmm. um, where I didn't have to feel shame about it. You know what I mean? So I could go into like a, a three or four minute converge song and just completely like let like anger and disgust just like take over me for like a minute. Yeah. And just like, it was like really, yeah, it's super cathartic, you know? Yeah. And then and then I, I would kind of come out the other side like feeling like, you know, just like relieved, you know? Yeah. But I couldn't express that. I couldn't share that with my parents um you you should now it's time to share converge with your parents i, I think they're ready i think they're like they probably they probably like blame it on like our our apostasy yeah um but i one blame story your apostasy on that you mean yeah. <laughs> the apostasy from from listening to converge yeah 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 <laughs> one, one story i would like so to give an example like um i was really into minor threat um, do you know if you know anything about Minor Threat? They kind of started the whole straight, st- the whole yeah. straight edge movement of yeah. like you know drink you know you, I, it's personal choice you don't drink you don't smoke you don't have promiscuous sex, and so I that was like your alley at that oh, point. Oh man, I totally yeah. like I'm like you weren't gonna do that stuff anyway. Exactly, but but I could like I could say like no, these are my values. Yeah. Without saying like, oh, I don't do this stuff because I'm Mormon. It's like, no, I don't do it because I'm straight. That, edge. that works. For it was way cooler. Yeah. Uh, way cooler. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I remember this. Like, so I, I minor threat was a really big part of my life. And my, I remember this one time I, I, I came home, um, and my mom had like found my like CD stash, like my secret CD stash. Um, and she, I, I came into my room. She's sitting on the edge of my bed. She's like, she's got all the CDs out, 
she's like reading the lyrics and she's like and you know that they say like you know the f word all the of time all your lyrics are, are just the minor threat ones. oh yeah I, I remember she had it in her hand yeah you know and it, i mean like if, if you're only reading like f word you know nothing else f word she you know that's what she was noticing you're, you're not reading any sort of the context and so like i didn't have it within me to like say like but the reason why I listen, I don't think I could even articulate it at that time. Yeah. I was like 15, you know, like I, I couldn't say like, no, like all these like values that like I feel are completely external to me, like for the first time in my life, like I feel connected to them, you yeah. know, um, probably because they're packaged in like a way cooler way, right, you know, right. but I couldn't, I couldn't articulate that. And like, just to kind of give you like a level of like, <laughs> maybe it's my psychosis or just the weird family dynamic. Um, and also, but I think more than anything, the culture, because like this was like a totally Mormon move, is when she left, like I smashed them. Right. I you smashed. Just felt so ashamed of yourself. Oh yeah, because it's like this isn't what a Mormon kid should listen to. Yeah. Like this is like this is this is gonna lead me. But smashing them went right along with what what the the music that that you were smashing. <laughs> yeah, that was a very punk move. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't like this like out of defiance. It was out of like complicity. It was yeah. out of like obedience. Yeah, um, shame. Yeah, so this is like weird I did triple. Not smash my Usher tape. No, I, no. I probably still have hide it. that shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was probably like a lot better at hiding things than me. Although your mom found that, right? Did she find that? Yeah, out? yeah. Yeah, she. I was like listening to it in my room, like oh. his single "My Way," which yeah. is just like all about sex and getting down in a car. And she came in. She's like, "What are you listening to?" And she yanked it out of the tape player. But I found it. And I still love Usher to this day. Yeah, but I, I kind of feel like that uh, that um, that act was you know like the the Japanese like they like eviscerate themselves right. you know to like show That's obedience. What you were doing. That was totally what I was doing. I was like you know like kneeling down just like. Did she know? Did she know that you did that? Yeah. Well, oh, of course. Like I'm yeah. not gonna smash my CDs and not get not get any like recognition. Mom, look at this shark. Exactly. And and so like it was like totally like just like my hat in my hand like you know like that was like. The I that was like my identity and my autonomy just like smashed You're up. Still, those you 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 are still living in that smashing your CD mode. <laughs> I haven't done. I don't think I've like. I don't. I mean, I maybe I'm in the process of like going back and like picking up the shards and like piecing it back together and like trying to fit it into my CD player. Good. I think I think that that's where I'm at now. Well, um, you know, we, we're we're almost an hour and a half into oh, this conversation. Anything else that that you want to talk about at all, or uh, that you had planned on talking about, or yeah, I mean, usually when I nothing that we really need to go into. Um, I mean, I I feel like like this is the kind of conversations that you have on the Wandering Wolf. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and my my stuff's a little bit more like maybe I haven't found my. My, I, I would like to do a little bit more, you know, like, I would love to have these conversations, but mine's a little bit more agenda-driven, just talking about, like, experimental music, just because I'm so interested in, like, how people found that stuff, because for me, it was, like, this weird, like, you know, getting out of my adolescence, and, like, um, yeah, it, it was, for me, it was all about kind of regaining my autonomy, and, and, and rega- regaining a sense of self by listening to really kind of, in, in some ways, really alienating um, music, because it was something that was like a really really personal pursuit that like I can mm-hmm. like I can hang with this like can you hang with this I, I can hang with I this I see I see um and so 
you know, me wanting to reach out to you, like, I mean, I definitely think why is, is in that continuum for maybe you won't be able to like draw like a straight line between why and like Mersbau or, you know, harsh noise, but definitely between like, you know, like 20th century, like minimalism and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, and just the weird genre mashup that you guys, that you guys do. And I think are really, really successful at. So, but no, I mean, I, I don't think any, anything more than just having this conversation and, and maybe it's turned into a little bit one-sided because I, you know, I feel like, what can I ask that, you know, I don't think that you've like already like, you know, expressed in your, in your podcast. And, which... I, I, and to be fair, I, I've been very curious about you guys. So I've been asking oh, a lot of no, questions. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, no, so I mean, uh, nothing really else um, that I can... I can think of I like I wanted to um, there, there's a couple of actually like why moments that I wanted to bring up so I, I, I mentioned well, feel, feel free to yeah yeah do that we can do that real quick yeah so because um, I mean obviously I, I'm, a, I'm like a big fan and you know Addy expressed earlier um, sort of like the that moment that we had like you know like I, me sharing that with her her connecting to that and that being like a big moment you know like in our relationship um, because I was I was like really into you guys, and I, and I expressed earlier the um, the connection that I have with with your with your lyric writing. Um, I you know I think some of like the, the most beautiful phrases I've heard in like pop music, like I know I'm like buttering you up, but like honestly, like have like come out. Like um, my favorite song ever, and my favorite album is Eskimo Snow. Um, when you say all my words for sadness, like Eskimo Snow, like I just to me like when I heard that. Like I had to mull that over, like in my brain for a yeah. minute, and then when you get it, it's like clever, but it's also like, like really like pretty devastating. You know, like we we're saying like the same. I feel like it's applicable in so many things. We say the same thing over and over and over in all these different ways, but we're trying to get at some sort of truth that we want to get out there. Right. But we just say have all these different ways of like explaining it. And in in some weird way I connected that to like God, you know, or 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 you know, my idea yeah. of like spirituality. Yeah. Is it and I think that definitely got fleshed out when we went to Swaziland. Is the world is so big and everybody's trying to get to this like one thing. This like these are there's these universals that no matter what your culture is, like when you get down to the essence of like of things that are very basic human emotions, like sadness, mm-hmm. you know? There's, you know, we, we may express it in different cultural ways, but you can totally empathize. Our brains like, all work similarly. Absolutely, I we mean, all- we're all fairly related. Exactly, and it's all pretty recent that we were able yeah. to like, you know, like have the cognitive ability to like express those really high level emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it does, it, it makes total sense that we're able to do that, but you know, we, we complicate things so much by saying all these different Words, words. So yeah, so like, so something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, so that I remember that Y show being like really. Um, uh, the pump organ show. Yeah, the pump organ show. The the church organ show that yeah, you're. Yeah. I think my my mind like totally distorted it. You were like yeah. up there with like the pipes and yeah the organ, yeah yeah wearing a tux <laughs> yeah. with tails. You were you were you were you were fronting the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, so we moved to Cincinnati, and and it was like. Yeah, like I think maybe like why is for like I know they're from Ohio, and then like um, I remember I was hanging up uh, I was hanging up posters because uh, I, I book shows here in Cincinnati, um, just through my through my music website I've made just lots of friends and um, 
when people come to town, you know, usually I, I try to help set up a show. And so I was hanging up posters for a, for a show at the Common on a Sunday night. And I walked in um, and like I heard like a, like this really cool, like almost like tortoise-esque, like right. kind of jazzy, like post-rock. And I was like, I was like, who is, like I asked the bartender, I'm like, who is this? And it's like, oh, it's like Josiah Wolf. And I'm like, no way. So like I uh, kind of peeked my, poked my head in and um, yeah, it was like most of the members of Y like doing this like really amazing, like improvised um, thing and so like that's kind of um, I try to make it out as much as I can to Josiah's Sun Night thing. I should more. It's so late though. It is, and I just know I have to have like I'm having like a really shitty Monday like when I when I do that. Yeah, but it's it's cool. It's worth it. It's my favorite musical thing in Cincinnati. Yeah, like for sure. It is awesome. Man. And then I remember that I I like. I saw you walking down the street. Do you remember that? Yeah, I and do. Like, I do. And it was like a probably like a really creepy, weird fan thing. But like, I was just like, when when else am I gonna have this? I thought like, I was about to be murdered. Op- opportunity. So I like pulled over and was you like, yeah, like I I didn't I didn't know like when I like what are the odds? You know, like, like, Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> yeah. No. No. <laughs> you thought I was gonna shoot you in the gut? I don't know. Uh, you, you, I don't know. What do we know? What do we know? It was like it was like one o'clock in like Hamilton Avenue. You know, exactly. Like any, AM. Any yeah. anything could happen. But like I didn't think I'd have that opportunity again. Right. You know what I mean? It's like carpe diem. You know? Yeah. Um. But yeah. And then um, then uh, Josiah was like, and so I I started going to that thing, and then I asked Josiah and Liz if they wanted to play a house show here. Um, which they did, which blew my, right. blew my mind completely. Like, I had to remember as I was driving here, I was like, oh, you have fucking been yeah, here. I know been, how to yeah, get yeah, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, I mean, they have no reason to do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're kind of like, you don't need to play a house show anymore, <laughs> anymore. but it was really cool. Um, so, yeah, so that's been like my really positive experiences with, uh, with your musical output and just living here in Cincinnati. Cool. You ready to close up? Sure. We're yeah. going to close up. I've been talking for a long time. I've been uh, sitting here with Addie Ryan, brought some water. Ryan and Addie. This is your water. And um, we're at their house in Clifton, Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, say bye to the people for you guys. I'm going to say bye to the people for your podcast. Goodbye, people. See you. Goodbye. Goodbye, Eskimo snow on unmanned crosses all planted in threes in a field for living trees are hummed as prayers in secret and sung through speakers in rooms for people to hear it The words for good wine on a Philistine's tongue And I'm under something black and thicker than a sheet for ghosts Or the first feet of snow that old, that old clouds yield On the crosses, on the chests of dead soldiers in a field Then I'm, then I'm still here at all, then I'm still here, barely understanding what truth that rarely calls, then I'm still here.
said 